Raiders sideline. Trinneman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown, Cougars! On the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! He's been on the headset for the last quarter century of BYU sports. Now, he's on BYU Radio every week as we go behind the mic with Greg Rubel. Here's your host, the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Well, hello, good Wednesday evening to everyone out there in uh, Cougar Nation. Greg Rubel here welcoming you back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Radio Studio Complex inside the beautiful BYU Broadcasting Building. On the campus here in Provo, Utah, it's our latest edition of Behind the Mic, our weekly hour of Cougar conversations with present and former BYU sports and sports media personalities. If you're listening to us live, it's great to have you along coast-to-coast on satellite via BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, or the BYU Radio app. If you're an on-demand listener, you're joining us on our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast feed or on our show page at byuradio.org. And as always, I encourage you to visit byuradio.org to access all the shows airing on BYU Radio for live listening and on-demand archives, including those for our weekly Dave Rose Coaches Show and the daily episodes of BYU Sports Nation, along with, of course, Behind the Mic. This week on Behind the Mic, we visit with one of the newest members of the BYU football coaching staff and with one of the most prolific shooters and scorers in BYU basketball history, Chase Fisher. My interview with Chase is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougar segment sponsored Sponsored by BYU Alumni, Connected for Good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. But we start tonight's show by visiting with one of the very busiest of my colleagues here in the BYU Broadcasting Building. He is former BYU quarterback and current TV basketball and football analyst Blaine Fowler. Been a couple months since we last talked, Blaine. Welcome back in behind the mic. Good to be here with you. You have been all over the place. Give our listeners a sense of uh, your your weekly schedule, because it's more than just BYU sports. Yeah, so I, I do Mountain West basketball for ESPN, um, under contract with them, and have been for, I don't know how many, more than a decade now. And then um, I started with NBC back when BYU was in the Mountain West Conference. NBC, first verses, and NBC had the the contract to that league. And so I started doing doing games for NBC back then people remember I would I would do the Mountain West tournament finals for NBC every year with uh, with Ted Robinson and when ESPN took over that contract I just kind of slid over with NBC and they kept me under contract and I've been doing Atlantic 10 basketball for NBC ever since so people see me and they go where have you been and I go well I was Back doing St. Bonaventure. I was back at Virginia Commonwealth this last Saturday. I was back doing uh, a Fordham game. I had UMass at Fordham, so I got to see that UMass team again. This is the third time I've seen them since they played BYU. And they go, what are you doing back there? Because people pretty much tune into the teams that they that they follow and, and the teams that BYU plays in their league. So I think a lot of people don't, don't know that that happens. So, for instance, this weekend um, – BYU's got an ESPN game that I don't have, I believe, on Saturday. Uh, the, so this week I don't have any BYU um, games, so I'm doing an ESPN game. I have Air Force at San Diego State Saturday night down in Viejas. Um, so it just kind of bounces back and forth between the three. Sometimes I have three games in a week. I had a week where I was on the West Coast uh, on a Tuesday night. Um, I was here in Provo on a Thursday night doing a BYU game. And on a Saturday I was back in New York and Olean doing a St. Bonaventure game. So that's not unusual. And then... I just take my computer with me and my phone, and I do my regular work for Stryker during that whole time. So 
Basketball season's like 80-hour weeks. That's what it's all about, right? So, truly, this time of year. So you are, you know, you're known... Um, as somebody in the mountain time zone, but yet your your background, your upbringing is East Coast. And so work in the A-10s, kind of like uh, you know back in the old stomping grounds. It, it, it's really fun. So so a couple weeks ago, I had a game at St. Bonaventure. That's like an hour from where I grew up. Olean is just an hour down Route 17 for me. And from very nostalgic. El- Elmira. Yeah, Elmira is yeah. where I grew up. So it's really kind of nostalgic, although I flew back there the weekend of the giant storm. And you, when, to get to Olean, you can either fly into Buffalo or you can fly into Erie, Pennsylvania. I chose wrong. I chose <laughs> Erie. Usually Buffalo has worse snow, but the storms were coming from the north across Lake Erie, and Erie had 72 inches of snow in town. So I got diverted to Rochester, had to drive in the middle of the night down to Olean, shared a ride with a woman that was trying to get to Olean. She kept me awake. She talked to me the whole time. Did the game midday, was assured by Delta that the, that the airport near would be back open. So I drove Saturday night, and I know this is a bad thing to do, but I'm driving on the freeway, and I've got my phone. It, the BYU-St. Mary's game was a was an ESPN game. So I did my Watch ESPN live app on my phone. I had service. It was a blizzard. It was snowing sideways. I put it on my dash where the speedometer is, and I watched the whole BYU-St. Mary's game in a snowstorm on my way to Erie. And I kept thinking, is this dangerous? And then I thought, well, it's really not because I'm the only idiot that's on the road right now. Secondly, there's 10-foot piles of snow. I'm driving like through a luge. So for some reason I did slide. All I'm going to do is hit a snowbank. I'm not going to get hurt. <laughs> the car's not going to get hurt. And, and it it kept me from being as white knuckle as I would have been driving in that. I got to Erie, no cars in the street but me. They're driving snowmobiles down the street. The, the <laughs> literally, pi- literally. The piles of snow, um, there were no poles to any of the street signs or stop signs. The snow went right up to the bottom of the signs, and they had shoveled out so you could see stop or where you were. It was a surreal kind of a deal, but it reminded me of why I have not moved back to upstate New York, <laughs> because that's the kind that's of winter stuff they get back there with, the great, with, with Lake Ontario and Lake Erie there. But, but it's really fun. It takes me back. Last year, I had a game, um, a neutral site game in Rochester War Memorial in the A-10 with VCU, um, and the last time I had been in that gym was in the state semifinals on my basketball team back in New York when we played. I walked back in, and I thought... Man, this place hasn't changed in 30-something years, and it, it brought back some me- good memories, some bad memories. Scarsdale whomped us in that semifinal game. but <laughs> So it is fun. It's fun for me to get back and mm-hmm. to be back in kind of the area where I grew up. Um, the A-10 has typically been a really good league. You know, a lot, a lot of years it's a three- and four-bid league. It reminds me of when the Mountain West was really rocking and BYU and Utah were in that league. This year they're down. This year... Rhode Island's playing out of their minds, right. and they're an NCAA tournament team for sure. Maybe a second bid, but nothing beyond well, that, I Well, don't everybody think, right? thought St. Bonaventure, they beat Maryland on the road, they beat Syracuse on the road. In the preseason, they're like, St. Bonnie's is an NCAA tournament team, but they've fallen off with some injuries in, in conference play. So they may be a one-bid league this year, hopefully a two-bid league, but it's typically a three- or four-bid league. So... It's fun for me to go back there and do that. And NBC is a great organization to work for. If you look at uh, if you look at Pomeroy, A10 and, and West Coast Conference are tenth and eleventh nationally among the conferences, and and the WCC's profile is just a little better at the top because Gonzaga and St. Mary's are all but locks right now. You yes. don't want to say locks, but but it's a two bid league right now. The question now becomes: Could BYU do enough? 
to you know to have the committee considering BYU. And, and again, the committee doesn't, doesn't look at leagues; they look at teams. Right. Uh, but that said, let's get back to the BYU beat. Here's an 18 and five BYU team that uh, that uh, really really could have had the split with St. Mary's. They let the one slip here, and that kind of may, you know may come back to haunt here in the end. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, you know the, the question is, could BYU do enough between now? And four weeks from now, to put themselves in a position to even have an at-large profile, I, th- I think they can, but I think they have to at least split with Gonzaga. Uh-huh. And and I was hopeful that San Diego would continue to play really well because, from strength of schedule perspective, that would have helped. Um, but you know, they've fallen off just just a little bit. They have won back-to-back games, looking better again. Yeah. But yeah, they slipped off a little bit there, and and, yeah. and it hurt, and that hurt the league really because strength of schedule is important, and the bottom of the league is is falling off now. And Pacific, I. I think Pacific's a really good basketball team, and I, I have a pretty good perspective because remember, I'm going back and I'm seeing what all these teams in the East look mm-hmm. like. I'm doing a Mountain West game usually every week, and so I look by comparison, and and I and I see where BYU falls. I feel like BYU has the talent to be an NCAA tournament team. I wish they had not lost that Pacific game uh, early on the road, but I still think they have a chance to go on a run. They split with Gonzaga. They get to the tournament finals, even if they were to lose in those tournament finals. I still think they have a chance because you you would have beaten either St. Mary's or Gonzaga to get semis, to the final. Right. Yeah, and, and St. Mary's. Man, that is a very good veteran basketball team. And and I've seen all the teams in the A-10. I've seen really good teams in the Mountain West. Boise State's a very good basketball team this year. Nevada's a really good team. It's not the normal guys in the Mountain West mm-hmm. that we usually think of this year. And I think BYU stacks up really well with those. St. Mary's is better than any of the teams that I've seen in those leagues. I, they're so veteran. They execute so well down the stretch. You know, to me... BYU would have to play their best game with all with, with at least three players contributing in a big, big way. It just can't be a two-man game, and they've got to play lockdown defense. Get to the end of the game, and then execute at a level that St. Mary's executes at. It's, it's a very, very well-put-together basketball team. And when I look at St. Mary's and look at the individual talent, first of all, they're talented. So they match up pretty well. But, but maybe not quite as explosive as, say, Rhode Island. But St. Mary's veteran execution, especially in crunch time and games, it's just money. They're really, really good. So there's no shame in the fact that BYU's lost twice to that team. And I'm with you. The game they needed to get was the game here at home where they had them on the ropes. Once they got to overtime, I remember thinking to myself, now now here's a a veteran team that has played literally for two seasons with all the same parts. They know what they're supposed to do in overtime, and BYU's got a lot of new parts. they got T.J. Haas, who seems to be finding himself now. I knew that was a recipe for disaster when they went to overtime, and sure enough, St. Mary's executed flawlessly in mm-hmm. overtime, which is what you would expect them to do. And and in BYU faltered. They took some bad shots in overtime. They They missed some rotations defensively in overtime. And so that's the difference right now. But what gives me hope is is that this is a team that I think is going to finish strong. I think that TJ is going to eventually find some consistency because he's been better mm-hmm. lately. Um, and then all these guys are back next year. Now now BYU can become what St. Mary's is right now down the road. And that's very good. That's hopeful. And I don't see any of these guys going out right now. Um, and so they should keep these guys intact. And these are good students, so everybody's going to be around. These guys are are all one with the honor code and all that stuff. I just... This seems like a group that should stay together for the next couple of years and be really good. I'll be surprised, Blaine, if this year when we get to Vegas, the top five aren't obviously St. Mary's, Gonzaga, BYU, Pacific, San Diego. I think those are going to be your top five. And in past years, 
you never really thought that anybody outside of BYU really had a shot to knock out either St. Mary's or Gonzaga before they got to a title game. And and there were there was one year where Portland upset St. Mary's, then BYU beat Portland, got to the title game. Right. But it, it almost never happens. This year, I think more than most, the potential is there for on the right night for either of those teams, Pacific or San Diego, to give one of the top two teams or a BYU a real run for the money because of how they're put together and how they're playing. I think you only have to look at how uh, Pacific played St. Mary's in Stockton, for example, mm-hmm. to get a good sense of that. And so I really want to see if in Vegas this year the games don't maybe go as they have. Because in the past it's almost been walkovers for the top two. Yeah. And, and I wonder if this year somebody else is prepared to have one of those kinds of nights that really puts a scare into one of the tops. I agree. San Diego can defend really well. So if they get their defense on and then they're knocking down shots. And the two Isaiahs are legit. I mean, they're they're a much, much better team. Well, in Pacific, to me, when when we saw them early on and they beat BYU and I was over doing that game, I thought to myself, wow, this is a collection of D1 transfers that are talented. Like, so they have talent. On the guard line, as good as anybody in the league, as good as good as Gonzaga, and especially from a physical talent perspective. So, we're talking about guys that are athletic that can come off of a screen, you know, a high pick and roll, and really turn the corner and just attack you. And there's, you know, people struggle to defend that, and they don't just have one guy that can do it. They have three guys mm-hmm. that can just relentlessly come at you. They get you in foul trouble. Uh, they get your guards in foul trouble. Your guards struggle on the offensive end because they're extending so much energy defensively that now they get on the other end, they're tired. They've got tired legs. And so when teams play them, the the offensive guard production goes down and they get you in foul trouble. And then sometimes, like over at their place, BYU's defensive rotations, the big guys were late getting there. So now your big guys are getting in foul trouble and they're late coming over and they're getting easy buckets at the basket and they're getting to the free throw line. And, and they've so, got they've got a rim protector yes. in Oconquo. And so I I feel like that that's a team, typically yeah. in the tournament, especially when you play a couple of nights in a row, really good guard play can can make the difference. Guards can play really well on a given night and, and beat a team. So I'm with you 100%. I, that Pacific team, I think a light bulb went on when they, when they beat BYU, where I think those kids went into the locker room and said, hey, do you want to know what? Maybe what the coaches are talking to us about is for real. Maybe if we do play like this, we can be good, and now we've seen them play really well ever since. So you're right. Yeah. One of those teams could yeah. win in the it, tournament. It turned into four wins in a row for them when they beat BYU, and, and really they're, they're maybe a Jalil Tripp free throw make away from, from, from finishing that game a different way in Stockton than the one that St. Mary's barely pulled out to win. So, yeah, I, I'm more curious for Vegas than I have been in a while. Let's flip to football for our last couple of minutes here. Uh, the new staff is almost complete. One more one more coach to be hired. Uh, it'll be on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, you've seen essentially uh, half the staff turn over uh, since the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, four offensive coaches, one defensive coach uh, gone. Uh, just an overall assessment uh, of what Kalani uh, has done with the new hires and where you expect BYU to be better as a result of those hires. Well, two two things. First of all, sometimes a change forces players to kind of step up and go, uh-oh, this is a whole new crew. I've now got to be even more accountable because I have to prove myself to this group. Uh, I, I think Jeff Grimes came in and immediately said, accountability, nobody has a job. you got to show me what you can do. So, So it's already translated to – a real dedicated work effort here in the offseason. Kalani laid down the law immediately in the first meeting after the regular season saying there will be you guys will fall into line 
in and off, you know, on and off of the practice field and the weight room. Like you will be in class, you will get good grades, you will obey the honor code, or you can either leave right now if you're not committed, or we will get rid of you. Discipline off the field translates to discipline on the field, and I feel like this staff has really bought into that vision from Kalani, and that's been the theme so far for this off season. And BYU, in my mind. They're never going to match up with the kind of schedule they're playing right now. If they're just going to try to match up speed-wise, athletically, with Wisconsin and LSU and any Washington, of the, yeah, Washington, they, yeah. like you yeah. name, like look at this next next to your schedule. Yeah. There's always going to be a little bit of a talent gap here because of the academic requirements, because of the honor code requirements. There's going to be a little bit of a lack of. of there's, so there's going to be a gap. BYU makes up that gap with discipline. Uh, much like Navy, you look at what Kenny's done back there with Navy. Do you think Navy is, Navy's not physically better than maybe nine of the teams on their twelve game schedule? Yet they go out and win nine and ten games because they out execute everybody and their their execution gap. They force the other teams to make up the execution gap. I feel like BYU maybe got away from that a little bit this this last year, and I feel like there's a real emphasis to get back to that now. They want to up the recruiting, and this staff feels like they can close the gap athletically some. So now if you close that gap some and you execute at a really, really high level, now you can completely close the gap. And I think that that's the theme. I, I feel like Jeff buys into that 100%. I feel like the staff that has come in buys into that 100%. Um, and I really feel like they're all on the same page. So, And they get a good nucleus of guys back. BYU's really good when they're dominating up front, and the group they have coming back, on the offensive line next year and the year after, there's multiple NFL guys in that group. So the, the future is bright. And you know what? One of the guys that's not on this staff is Mike Empey, but he assembled that group. So next year and the year after, when they're dominating the O-line, we got to remember to look back and go, hey, Mike Empey's not here, but he was part of why they're so good the next two years. And uh, certainly it's right in Jeff's wheelhouse. Uh, that position is, is, is all he knows uh, from the last you know 20 years of football. So that, that's, that's, that's bound to... Uh, have an impact with him uh, taking over as as the OC, and we'll see what happens with that last coach. And it should be done relatively soon. Spring ball's around the corner, and and you know what? They really have to work on consistency at the quarterback position. First of all, keep guys healthy, but the production out of that position, BYU will never be good unless they're good there. Well, you know what? Nobody's good unless they're good there, right? That's the big. I hate to. Say, everybody's like, oh yeah, that's what you played. Is there a more important position in any sport than quarterback in football? There is not. That's why those guys make big money. That's why the Patriots, the Patriots are not that good. But Tom Brady is crazy good. They're in a Super Bowl. That that's why they're there. And and so BYU has got to be way more productive at that position. They've got to be consistent at that position. If they want to get back to where they're winning eight, nine, ten games, they've got to be really good there. Blaine, always good to have you on. We'll probably do it again around uh, spring ball. Uh, safe travels. There will be a lot of them. We'll get you back on the BYU beat pretty soon. When's your next BYU game, by the way? Um, I think the next week we have – is that the road trip at Pepperdine? And, or is that two weeks from then? That's in two weeks. Next oh, week is the home Santa Clara, San Francisco. I have uh, that. I have that okay. one. And then I have somebody in the middle of the week in the Mountain West. So You're but, always but, somewhere. But the, B, the BYU one, <laughs> the next BYU game is a week from Saturday. So that, that, okay, one, one of the two so, areas. I, I hope that atmosphere. I'm telling you what, I was watching it on my iPad back in New York in my hotel. Um, this Pacific game, yeah, 
that environment was off that was the good. charts. Yeah. And, and and I get all over the place. Rarely do I ever see a college basketball environment like that. I hope I know a lot of students came out because of the halftime show, but they saw a phenomenal basketball game and I hope that student section goes Man, this is pretty fun. We yeah. need to come because that was awesome. No, it was charts. packed to the top, and the, again, the game itself. Pacific is a fun team to yes. play right now, and, and and the best part is you beat them by fifteen. But it was a good game, and, and it was fun for any fan to want to watch or any analyst to analyze. Uh, Blaine, thanks again. You bet, man. All right, uh, coming up after this break, we'll go inside the BYU football program with uh, one of the newest members of the football coaching staff. Well, that's coming up next. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. You are tuned in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Back after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Well, Preston Hadley was a Utah County kid and a Pleasant Grove High School grad, and he became a Cougar when after two years at Snow College, he joined the BYU football program in 2011, a two-year starter at corner in all 26 games of the 2011 and 2012 seasons. Preston ended his BYU tenure with 21 career pass breakups, a pick and six tackles for loss, including two and a half sacks. During his time in Provo, BYU won 18 of 26 games and went 2-0 in bowl games. After a pro camp stint in Seattle, Preston joined the coaching ranks, serving on Bronco Mendenhall's staff as a grad assistant coach in 2013 and 2014. Then he became a professional coach, moving to California, where as a junior college assistant, he learned the ropes that led him back to Utah, where in 2016, he joined the coaching staff at Weber State. In both of Preston's two seasons with the Wildcats, Weber State made the FCS playoffs, and this past season advanced all the way to the national quarterfinals. While at Weber, Coach Hadley tutored all-conference and all-America talent in the secondary, and his work with Weber State earned him a phone call from Kalani Sitake, who recently hired Preston for a return to Provo as the Cougars' new safeties coach and coach. Preston Hadley joins me now behind the mic. Preston, welcome in and welcome back. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. Signing day is a week away, and you're on the phone because uh, you're on the road recruiting, right? Yes, sir. I was just trying to finish up the rest of this class. Well, you've been around coaching for a few years, uh, but what kind of a learning curve did you find yourself on with recruiting in full swing when you joined the new coaching staff here at BYU? Well, it's definitely the, the higher level you go up, you know, there's just you have to invest more time in the recruiting, you know, especially at a, at a place as unique as BYU. We really have to identify the kids at a pretty young age, you know, and just educate them on – you know, what they can expect from BYU and, and help them stay on top of their school. You know, just keep encouraging them and motivating them and to, just to kind of see the big pictures. Now, when you were a BYU player, uh, you talked about coming back someday as a BYU coach. So clearly this is kind of, uh, I guess, part of your vision, right? I, I believe in self-fulfilling prophecies, you know. Hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I just I had great coaches that I was able to play for and you know, I, I saw what they were able to do for me as a player, and it's, it's it sounded like, you know, I felt like coaching, just joining that this coaching fraternity just in general and at BYU is something I wanted to be a part of. So I, I definitely, I didn't I didn't realize it would uh, it would happen this fast, but, 
you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to be back here, though. What about the coaching profession appealed to you, even as a player? Uh, well, you know, coaching, it's, it's really a, a serving profession. And again, in my opinion, it's, it's the greatest profession in the world where you can just, you know, you, you, can, you can help people promote change in their lives. And, and you know, it, especially where there, there's so many kids, I feel, who, you know, who, who come into college football not necessarily having the, quite the structure in their lives that others have. I mean, you can really make a big difference, you know, from, and you, you, some of the, the craziest thing you can do to, to help a kid, you know, from, from helping a kid get car insurance to applying for his first credit card, who knows, you know, just, there's so many different things that you can, can do to help influence a kid. So it, it's, it's really just, again, back to my, back to it, it's, it's a serving profession. That, that's been the draw for me, you know, just, through my experience, just just growing up, you know, I, you know, I, I come from a family where, where service is a, is a big deal, you know, and so to be able to to do something like that on a daily basis, you know, it, that's that was the the major appeal, and then obviously the football is is bonus, you know, um, just being able to talk football and, and, and teach and influence people uh, by using football really as your as your main platform. Who served you or helped you the most as a player growing up? Oh man, you know it, it goes all the way back from from high school. You know, um, from my head coach to to my position coach, Coach Brady, Coach Steve Brady. I mean, he still to this day he'll text me, follow up with the games. He'd come to all my games when I was at Snow and at, at BYU, and then he's been really influential. And then even at Snow College with my position coach and, and head coach and, and Coach Coburn. You know, one of my favorite things about uh, being able to, to still coach around the state of Utah is, is interact with these guys, you know, and I, I love going through the schools and, and catching up with them and just reminiscing on some of the old stories, you know, and, and then at, at BYU, you know, my position coach, Coach Al and, and Coach Menahal and, and really all the coaches on the staff, you know, they, they all played a, a big role in just, just helping me as an individual, you know, and so um, I, I've been really fortunate to be surrounded by great coaches my whole life. You know, and so it's it's fun being on the other side, trying to you know carry on that tradition and and really help those behind me. You know, Preston, uh, I mentioned earlier you 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 spent a couple of years at BYU as a grad assistant coach. How important was it to you to go somewhere else and, and get experience outside of the BYU football program before coming back? You know, I, that, I think that was all the difference. You know, I, I think if you talk to most people, I don't think I would have been hired at at Weber State had I not. Uh, left and, and gone to coach at Santa Ana out in Orange County, you know, and that's really coaching and, and honestly just life in general is all about is just is taking those chances and, you know, you're, re- you're really not sure where it's going to lead you, but I knew one thing I wanted to coach football and um, Santa Ana just seemed like the right thing to do and it, it felt like a great opportunity and I had an opportunity to, to coach for a great head coach out there and, and build good relationships with, you know, the coaches in the area and the, and the players and just you know, even just, you know, as a member of the church, just members in the area as well, you know. So um, I, I think it was all the difference. You know, I, I definitely don't think well, – I, I definitely know I would not have had the opportunity to come back here, specifically as soon as I did, um, had I not, have, you know, kind of taken that chance and, 
and gone out to, to Orange mm. County. You mentioned the word relationships, and coaching's all about that, whether from coach to player or from coaches to coaches in the network we're talking about. Now, you didn't play for any of the current coaches on the defensive side of the ball at BYU, but you're familiar with, with certainly some of them on the staff. How much did personal relationships play a role in bringing you back to BYU? You know, I was really happy where I was at at Weber State. You know, I, I was able to, in Coach Hill, work for a great head coach. And, you know, we had great players. And so I, I wasn't out looking, you know. And I, I think it did it helped a bunch, so having some of those ties, you know, with Gennaro. You know, Gennaro, when we go back, I mean, we go way back from when he was a player. I mean, shoot, he was my favorite player growing up, hmm. you know. And uh, so it's, so we've just from that, you know, I've always just admired him and, and how he, he does stuff, and even as a coach. And even when I went out, I actually went out to, to California after I finished playing at, playing at BYU, I went out to train. And, I mean, Gennaro even had me over at his house for dinner. You know, him and his wife, his now wife, you know, had invited me over for dinner and really took me in. And, you know, it, it made all the difference for me. You know, and then, you know, even while I was a player, Gennaro would be around. And, um, and you know, we, we've kept in really good touch since we've been here. You know, we, we've done – and talk football and um so th- you know that that helped out and you know obviously you coached you know, with Fessy. yeah coaching with Fessy, you know and I, I think um like i said i, I don't i don't know if the, if the coaches really knew exactly what they'd be getting with me but um i it, it did help that fess you know coaching with Fessy and my relationship with him and uh you know i, I like i think Fessy put in a good word for me and and vouched for me that you know i had to come in and work hard and and try and do a good job and put the players first and, and you know, the other coaches and, and try and do what's best for the program. So how has it been getting to know Kalani then? Man, it's been fun. You know, and, and we've, you know, we've talked, you know, in passing quite a few times. And, uh, you know, obviously me being a local guy, you hear a lot about what he does and how he treats people. And, you know, he's, he's a great guy to, to follow and, and to look up to, you know, being a young coach. You know, you, you always need to find good uh, mentors, and uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to continue to learn from him and just how he deals with people and, and runs this organization. You know, I, like I said, I've enjoyed it since I've really enjoyed it since since coming in. And you know, he's just hey, shoot, he's got a, a big heart, and he, he's a he's a he's a people first. You know, kind of a first who, then what mindset. You know, mm. which I, I think is the way that you should do things. Chatting with new BYU safeties coach uh, Preston Hadley. Preston, I called you a Utah County kid. Uh, how deep do your local roots run? Uh, well, my coaches, I some of my coaches I play for at, at PG are still there, you know, and the other you know other coaches in the area as well. So it's fun going back and you know just talking. I still call him coach, you know, and uh, it, it, it's fun. I, I think that helps. You know, it's I think it's always good to. To, to stay involved in the community, you know, my family still is in Pleasant Grove, so um, I, I enjoy it. It's, I, I think it's, I think it matters, you know, and, and just really trying to promote the program in a positive way. I, I think it all matters. Did you live in PG your whole life? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I was, I was born in California, but raised in Pleasant Grove. So really, uh, when I say Utah County kid, that that is your life, then, right? Yeah, that that's all me, all me, baby. So, uh, BYU playing days. I mentioned a couple of the numbers you put up, but favorite memories from your seasons as a Cougar? Uh, just being with the team, you know, like uh, just the relationship with my teammates, you know, guys like like Brandon Ogletree, Warren Kavanga, Spencer Hadley, you know, Craig Bills, Joe Sampson, J- 
Jordan Johnson, like all, I, you know, like all those guys, you know, I mean, we had, you know, we, we played on a great defense, you know, I think we played the game the way it's supposed to be played and it showed on the field, you know, and just my relationship with those guys, you know, like you, I'm still not so far removed from playing that I, I still remember specific moments on the field and during practice and in the games, uh, but really, it's just those memories with my teammates just working out together in the off season, and that's what I remember, you know. And it's continuing those relationships, you know. I mean, all those guys still get together and play basketball, you know, every week. And so, so it's it's fun being able to continue that that relationship and see everyone. What a great run you guys had at Weber the last couple of years, but especially this past season. You had another former Cougar on the staff with you up there, uh, Kelly Bills, a former Cougar uh, coaching, for, uh, playing for you guys, and Jordan Prater. So there was a there was a there was a little bit of Cougar flavor up there. Yeah, I mean both those guys. Kelly's an awesome coach, man. Like he, uh, you know, I, I know he made a huge difference with the with the receivers up there, and just was a was a big contributing factor to the success we had on offense you know I loved our offense up there you know and I, I thought Kelly did a great job man and, and I learned a lot from him you know just asking him questions about the other side of the ball things that we could do in the secondary and on defense you know to help improve ourselves and then you know Jordan I mean you've seen Jordan play I mean kid's a playmaker you know and so he's you know he came in and fit in really well and you know he did a great job you know I just and it, it was him I mean talk about a a turnaround and just in and taking advantage of, of opportunities. You know, it, it was fun to watch Jordan just continue to grow in that way. Preston, uh, things at BYU took a little dip this past season. Uh, how, how much uh, uh, of a motivating factor uh, was getting back to BYU and helping BYU get back to where it wants and needs to be? You know, that's the that's the fun part about coaching is you're you're always just constantly working towards improving yourself, improving the program, uh, learning and growing as a coach, and, and helping the, the, the players that you serve uh, continue to grow and develop as well as players and people. And so, so you know, obviously, you no, no matter what your season's like, you know, I, I feel like most coaches are going to be motivated to, to improve regardless. Um, like I said, I, I believe in, in the program and in the coaches and in the players and you know, just that in itself, just the, the people that I'm surrounded by is his motivation, you know, and um, it, it's it's going to be a good ride. I mean, we have great coaches, we have great players, and we play a great schedule, and I think we're led by a great head coach, and uh, I'm excited to see, see how this thing shakes out. You know, I think we're going to do some, I think we're going to do some really good things, you know. Well, Preston, I'm excited to have you back uh, with BYU football, and I wish you the best of luck in this next week of recruiting. We hope it's a great signing day for you next Wednesday. Uh, Best of luck in this recruiting process, and we'll see you soon. All right. I appreciate it, Greg. That's Preston Hadley, BYU's new safeties coach, former Cougar player, returning to the Cougar coaching staff, and this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Did you know that BYU has more than 80 alumni chapters worldwide? It's a way to connect with other alumni, help students in need, and help spread the influence of the Y all around the world. Most places have chapters where you live, and there are also chapters based on what your major was or even your profession. And chapters do great things, like helping provide financial aid for more than 400 BYU students this year. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. BYU alumni, connected for good. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. 
Well, Chase Fisher came out of West Virginia as one of the top 10 all-time scorers in that state's great high school hoops history and headed for one of the country's top basketball leagues, the Atlantic Coast Conference. He suited up for 62 games at Wake Forest, starting six of them and becoming a team captain as a sophomore. After his second season with the Demon Deacons, Chase was ready for a change of scenery, and a change is what he got as he left the rolling hills of Carolina for the mountainous landscape of Utah, transferring to BYU to complete his college eligibility. After a redshirt season in 2013-14, Chase suited up for the Cougars in 2014-15 and 2015-16, playing 71 games, starting 70 of them, helping BYU to an NCAA tournament bid in his junior season and an NIT Final Four appearance at Madison Square Garden in his senior campaign. Chase Fisher was simply one of the best three-point shooters in BYU Hoops history, becoming the first Cougar ever with multiple seasons of 100-plus threes and ending his BYU career in fourth place all-time in three-pointers made, and he did it in only two seasons of play. Only one Cougar has ever made more threes in a single season, and that was Jimmer Fredette. After him, Chase has the second and third most threes made in a single season. Jimmer and Chase are the only BYU players to ever surpass the 103-point plateau in a season. Chase Fisher set the BYU single-game record for threes when he hit 10 at Chaminade, a record since equaled by Nick Emery but never broken. After BYU, Chase played some ball overseas but has settled back in stateside, and Chase Fisher joins me in our Catching Up with the Cougars segment sponsored by BYU alumni, Connected for Good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Chase, thanks for joining me and welcome in behind the mic here on BYU Radio. Yep, yep. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate you having me, man. It's good to catch up with you again. Hey, your, your hometown's listed as a Ripley, West Virginia. How mm-hmm. long was that or is that home for you? Um, it's Yeah, so Ripley, West Virginia is my hometown. To be specific, it's a small, I always put Ripley because that's the biggest city, but I'm from Kenna, which is a really small country town outside of Ripley. So I like to, uh, that's where I'm living. My home base is currently right now. Um, but I'm honestly kind of a, I'm a, I'm a nomad uh, in this day and age. So I'm, I roam to Florida a lot and visit family down here, and I've uh, done a little business down here. So I'm a, Kenna is Kenna, West Virginia's home right now, but I'm a little bit of a nomadic creature right now. Were you were you born and raised in West Virginia? Uh, I was born actually right outside of Miami in Coral Springs, Florida. My parents lived down there for a couple of years, and then uh, other than that. I was born and ra- or raised in West Virginia. Different parts in West Virginia, but same area. So, so I so, went to high school in Ripley. So, so when someone asks where you know home is for you, do you still always say West Virginia automatically? Oh, of course. West Virginia will always be home. So, yeah, it, it's always home. And then Florida is a, a secondary place. So, But, yeah, West Virginia will always be home. I and, love West Virginia. And you're in Florida today, right? I'm in Florida right now. Yep, I'm in sunny Florida getting some a uh, little bit of vitamin D. <laughs> how how big was basketball in your neck of the woods growing up? Uh, it, it's really big, actually. The, the basketball in West Virginia, honestly, was never uh, the high school basketball scene and the AAU scene. It was lesser developed, and it wasn't as big. Um, but I think when I was coming through middle school and high school, basketball was really, really picking up in West Virginia. Because we have good history. There's, you know, you got Jason Williams, Jerry West, um, you know, O.J. Mayo, who played in the NBA, Patrick Patterson. So there's a, there's some good history in uh, 
a lot of these small towns love basketball. So, yeah, it, it was a really big deal to uh, to a lot of people. And it, it's, it's gotten really big in West Virginia now as the AAU scene's exploded. So, um, yeah, it, it was a pretty big part of my childhood, though. And the Mountaineers right now are as good a program as they've been in a long time. So, Yeah, they are. And West Virginia, uh, the Mountaineers are like West Virginia's pro team. So they got a lot of backing and everybody loves them. So. And rightfully so, they're a great team. So yeah, we uh, yeah, it's rolling in West Virginia right now. So besides basketball, what other sports did you play growing up? Oh, I played soccer a little bit when I was young. Uh, played I played did the I did the rounds like every other kid. But in middle school, I played golf, and I loved golf. And I actually hated basketball in sixth grade because I was really just burnt out with AAU and and I tried to quit basketball and play golf. Um, and my dad actually wouldn't let me. He was a little <laughs> bit of a, a domineering character, and he uh, he made me live kind of a Spartan life existence uh, for a little bit. But it ended up being a good choice, so I'm glad he uh, he kind of forced me into that. Do you so still do you still love golf? Uh, I do, but it's too expensive, man. I'm not a blue blood, Greg. You know, <laughs> I like to shoot guns and, and go and raise chickens and lift weights you know and i golf's too expensive for me man so it's uh i still enjoy golf i like to you know I, in my backyard i can hit golf balls into the woods and i'll go out every now and then but it's uh it's 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 a little too rich of a sport for me now were you a natural you were were you a bit of a natural did it come easily to you and and, and were you good at it yeah, yeah i don't want to sound like i'm uh i'm tiger woods or anybody out here but i uh i, I was i was solid i had good eye hand coordination i was tall so i had a I had a big swing. I could. I had some distance, but um, I just don't think I ever put enough time into it. But yeah, I had kind of a natural, a little bit of a natural swing, and I, I enjoyed the motion of chipping, putting, irons. I think I, it, it was it was good for me. It was kind of it, it, a lot of eye hand coordination, which was kind of my my thing. So yeah, I, I, I was I was solid at it, but who knows? I probably wouldn't have been very good. So I'm glad I stuck with basketball. What was your career low for 18? Career low was I think I shot an 81, but that was like when I was 16, and I was playing decently hard courses, so I wasn't that good. Maybe 80, 81, and I uh, I just didn't have a lot of time for it. So for me, that was good. You know, I'd have a right. couple blow-ups, though, Greg, because I'm, I'm an up-and-down creature sometimes, so I'd, <laughs> I'd have a couple blow-ups on the back nine that would really, when my blood sugar would drop, and it would, you know, I'd, I'd slice a couple into the woods. You, you mentioned your dad a minute ago. Uh, give us a better sense of your family upbringing and, and how many kids are around and, and what kind of family you had. Uh, yeah, so my so I, my mom and dad, obviously, my mom, Robin, my dad, John, they were, uh, I'm sure you've met them, Greg, a couple times and seen them, and the coaches, and they came to every single game. Um, so my dad's from Cleveland. My mom's from West Virginia, actually where Jason Williams and Randy Moss are from. And I have one brother, older brother, Noah, who uh, we're really, he's two years older than me, and he played basketball in college as well. Um, so, yeah, my brother's my, my best friend, and we, we hang out all the time now. So it's, uh, it's good to spend some time with him now. But, yeah, I was raised in a very, very great home. My mom and dad were awesome. My dad was, uh, he, was he loved basketball, and he knew a lot about basketball. He always coached, and he was a big weightlifter. So he, uh, my childhood was a lot of workouts, a lot of time spent in the gym, which is awesome in retrospect because I got to spend a lot of time with my family. But um, we always grew up in the country as well. We live on a farm now, and in high school I lived on a farm, but we always lived really way out in the country. So it kind of it forced, I don't know if my parents did it intentionally, but it forced my brother and I to become very close, and we would uh, we'd hit each other with sticks, and we'd you know, do all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff that kids do. So I had a great childhood, though, pretty normal, 
Um, but yeah, I just have one older brother, and you know, it was it was a testosterone-filled house for sure. So. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much real, you know, big city living you've been doing or do. But uh, do you do you still prefer country lifestyle to anything in the city? Oh yeah, I'm a country guy, and here's and it goes it goes into a lot of, realm of of facets of life for me. But I think the human spirit needs space, Greg. I don't think humans are meant to be cooped up with each other. I think you need some space. You need a little bit of land, some fresh air. But my brother lives in Tampa right now. And I may make a move to Tampa in the next in the next year or so. So who knows? I'm a I'll be city living as well. But it has pros and cons. But I love the country. I think the, the human soul needs nature. It needs fresh air. You can you know you're not cramped up beside people. So, but it's just how I was raised. So city living's good too. But that's I'm a little opinionated on that one. So, but yeah, I prefer the country always. Your brother Noah, you're talking about. He played at uh, Marshall and Charleston, right? Yeah, he played at Marshall and Charleston, and he uh, he didn't play a senior year in college. He had a bunch of injuries, and he got his appendix out, and it was really nasty. And uh, he decided to go to law school, and he uh, he went to law school and did that route. And now he's in the in the working world. So yeah. When did uh, when did three point shooting uh, become, if not like your specialty, like a big big part of your game, something you got really good at? Oh man, uh, I'd say third, fourth grade. I was kind of that was kind of my thing. I remember when I started playing AAU, and um, you know, my dad was kind of a, a little. He was my shot doctor. I always thought it was interesting to see Marty Halls how he was with Ty and TJ, and that was similar to what my dad was, but the West Virginia version. My dad didn't play in college or anything. Marty was a great player, but he was very good at you know noticing things on people's shots and I did a lot of form shooting and technique breakdown when I was young so really I was always a very very my brother both my brother and I were very good shooters from a young age because my dad would break it down we wouldn't just come out there and chuck two handers from the three-point line when we were eight you know Mm -hmm. we'd come in and have a systematic approach to it I can remember my dad put me in a bucket I've said this before a bucket in my driveway in country West Virginia and he made I couldn't jump so he would get my form right from the upper body, and I'd have to shoot with one hand on a smaller rim. And so I'd say since a young age, I always knew that was going to kind of be my game. And I was never the fastest. I was never the strongest. I decent, was decently built for basketball. So I knew you know, I needed to be somewhat of a specialist from a, from a young age. So it, that, that was kind of uh, the, the, the birth of my three-pointer. But, yeah, and then from there, I just we took it to another level in middle school and high school, and I knew that's kind of what my game was going to be like. I mentioned in the intro that uh, you were a prolific high school scorer in the state of West Virginia. Give us a sense of the recruiting process at that time. Who was into you and how it ended up uh, going to Wake Forest? So I, uh, yeah, it, it was interesting actually because I'm in such a small town, but I was on an AAU circuit from a young age and I played for a team out of Ohio, an Adidas team, Ohio basketball club. And I was really getting a lot of good exposure going out to a lot of these tournaments from a young age, which for West Virginia, so the people that don't know, it's very, very hard to get exposed. A lot of kids are very good players. They don't get exposed because there's not a lot of AAU teams and it's small towns. So I got some good exposure. And I, uh, my brother was actually going to go to Marshall to play. And I love the coaching staff there, which was Donnie Jones. He's at Wichita State now. And Brett Nelson, who was a really good player. So I committed to Marshall University as a – I think I was an incoming sophomore or maybe my freshman – beginning of my freshman year one of the two mm-hmm. so I was committed to them for two years so my recruiting was shut down I committed very early and um, the coaching staff actually left so my recruiting opened up at the end of my junior year so going into my senior year 
and um, I didn't leave it open very long. So I had Wake Forest, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Marshall. Um, I had Maryland was talking to me a little bit. I had some some, some smaller schools in North Carolina, some mid majors, um, and some mid majors in Florida. And then I ended up choosing Wake Forest. So that was that was a, my, my recruiting process wasn't the norm. I didn't have my you know the window open. It was kind of like kids that commit to BYU very early. It was a very similar situation for me committing to Marshall, um, which is a, kind of a hometown school. And then from there, it opened up, and I chose Wake Forest ultimately. Now, after two seasons at Wake, you, you, you decided to leave. Give our listeners some insight into the decision and, and how BYU got in the mix. There's a Mark, Mark mm-hmm. Pope connection there. And maybe how aware you were of the whole Jimmer Fredette situation and if that appealed to you in any way uh, when it came to BYU. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, like I said, it was two years at Wake Forest. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of respect for Coach Pazdelic, who was there. And I loved Wake Forest. It was a nice place. It was close to home. It was in the ACC. It was a really good school. But I could tell it wasn't the system for my game. And I knew I was kind of limiting myself a little bit. And um, so I decided to make a move, which was really tough. And I actually didn't even want to take the visit to BYU when Coach Pope uh, called me because, you know, I was really nervous. I was like, man, I don't want to go all the way to Utah. I don't know anything about these char- characters. And I was really, really nervous. And my dad actually forced me. He's like, no take the visit. It's an awesome school. We know Coach Pope. He's like, just do it. And then I went out to BYU, and uh, Coach Pope was obviously the connection. He was recruiting me at Wake. He was one of the guys, and so he left uh, after right when I was in, coming into Wake Forest. So we had a, a small connection, and I knew he was going to be my coach, but he never actually coached me. So then that was the connection there, and I went out, and I fell in love with BYU and the staff, and you know, Coach Rose was awesome, and Coach Lacombe was out there, and Pope, and it was it was really awesome experience so and then I decided to uh, to make the move and I was on the second part of the question I was very aware of the Jimmer situation it was actually funny right before um, I forget when I don't know if it was the year before or maybe I I can't remember when Jimmer was there but I remember watching Jimmer play San Diego you guys played San Diego State at San Diego State and we won and beat and Jimmer went off and I was like so enthralled by him and I like I wanted my game to be like his and. Um, and then it was weird because I ended up playing pickup with him out of BYU, so it was kind of like a, a fan's dream. But yeah, I, I was a big Jimmer fan. I didn't know a lot about BYU, but I just loved Jimmer's game, and he was he was doing really well. So that was that that was a factor too. It kind of was the one thing I knew about BYU, and so it was pretty cool. You had the redshirt year at BYU, and, and then you start playing. And there, if there was a big three in the two years that you were there, it was kind of you and Kyle and Ty in the first go round, and then and then you and Kyle and uh, and Nick in the second season. If you were to look at it that way, you played with some good players here at BYU, and yep. and uh, and one of the best, of course, all timers in Kyle Collinsworth. And as I mentioned in the intro. NCAAs in, in your first year, uh, Madison Square Garden in your second year. Uh, not a bad way to go if you had to go just two years. Yeah, it was great. I was actually talking with my parents the other day about how good of an experience it was. With we, I mean, it was really tough because we're, and as you can see with this season as well, I've been keeping up with them. It's really hard to navigate the WCC. I think um, it's a weird conference, and St. Mary's and Gonzaga are tough matchups. And I think that was the same. I really look back on. I think we let some games go and still did with those stylistic matchups, but make it to the NCAA tournament. And making it to Madison Square Garden for me, from my story where I came from, with two you know not so great years at Wake Forest and moving across the country, it couldn't have been better for me. I had uh, the fans are awesome, the arena's awesome, you know our schedule, BYU in general was great. So for me, it was an awesome experience. And I know BYU fans get frustrated sometimes with the NIT and certain things, but 
you know, it was it, it, we did what we had with, with with our team, and we were exciting to watch, and uh, it was a it was a blast for me. So I, I had two really really great years, and I look back on those as, you know, my obviously my two best years in college. So with yeah, your excited to be a part of it. With, with your workout habits and nutrition habits and stuff, you and Kyle Collinsworth were kind of a, a dynamic duo that way and palling around quite mm-hmm. a bit and had similar interests. How proud are you of, of what Kyle's doing right now uh, with the Dallas Mavericks? Oh, man, I'm so proud of him. Yeah, I texted him. We, we talk every couple weeks or every month or so, and he uh, I talked to him a, a couple few weeks ago and uh, told him I was really proud of him. And he, uh, you know, Kyle's, Kyle's very Kyle comes off, he's very confident in himself, but he's very humble with uh, his friends and everyone because only we really know how much, and you probably you do too being so close to him, how hard he works and how much he put into it. So to see him, you know, make, and, and his Mavericks were his favorite team growing up too, which a lot of people probably don't know. But he, uh, yeah, it's, I'm so proud of him for him to put that much work in, and he deserves, you know, every bit of success he's having. So it's really cool to see that and see all his dreams come to fruition because he would always talk about it and how that's what he wanted to do, and he uh, he made it happen. So I, I'm really really proud of him. Uh, what was your pro uh, professional basketball experience like for you? Oh, geez, it was uh, it was interesting to say the least. So it was it was very interesting. I could give you a rundown. It's kind of a crazy crazy scenario, but. Um, so it was good. Honestly, I had a great experience. I was in Italy. I was in the second division in Italy, which is a uh, – Matt Carlino is actually there now. It's a really good league. And um, I went to an – I went to a team called Scafati, and uh, it was good. It was – one thing we had – I had an, uh, an owner who was a little bit intense and uh, <laughs> kind of crazy. And he we had a couple coaches fired very early. Some Americans were cut and – it was just a very tumultuous situation, and uh, they didn't pay the team for a couple, a few months. And um, in my contract, I was allowed to leave, so I decided to come back to the states and find a new team. And uh, they actually had the rights to my contract, so I signed a two-year deal. And uh, it got tied up a little bit, and they actually were saying I wasn't allowed to play unless I played for them. So I came back stateside, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going back to that crazy situation. And I, uh, I decided to just, you know do something else in life i said ah, basketball's taking its course for me so i was happy with my career and it uh that's kind of how it ended for me that was a, a very short brief version of it but it was europe can be like that if you talk to a lot of these pros you can get on these very interesting teams and you know business is done a little bit different over there yeah. i think for me it was just time to time to kind of move on and uh so that's that's what i did what are your favorite byu memories chase oh my favorite byu memories i have so many but i think Beating Gonzaga at Gonzaga, both my junior and senior year, were some of the best experiences um, for me. They, they were they were really awesome, and also playing in the NCAA tournament, even though it was a lot of highs and lows because we were up big in that game versus Ole Miss. Yeah, um, it was really cool experience going to uh, going to play in the NCAA tournament, also Madison Square Garden. But um, honestly, Greg, my favorite though, and call me crazy, was our NIT run where we got three straight home games. We played. Uh, UAB, Virginia Tech, and Creighton, three yeah. really, really good teams. And I think that was, the, that was the most fun I had in the postseason because it was prolonged. You, you get to spend more time with, with the fans, you get, or with the fans, your teammates. You get to play in the arena a little bit more. And so that was kind of – that was a special little run we had in the NIT. So those would be my fondest memories for sure. You mentioned uh, keeping track uh, on what the team is doing right now. And there are a bunch of guys that you, that you were teammates with that are still playing right now. Dalton and mm-hmm. Ryan and Luke, Zach, uh, Braden, Nick, we mm-hmm. hope, comes back. And so a bunch of guys that you were with are still uh, trying to get it done here for BYU. Yeah, they uh, they look good. I, I, I talked to a lot of those guys 
sporadically, but um, they they look really good this year, and um, I think they have a good, very good chemistry is what I like about it. And they, they're hard nosed. Their defense has gotten a lot better, um, so they're really fun to watch. And I talk to them, and they seem like honestly, they seem like they're having a lot of fun, and they're really uh, a team. And, and they're right there. They've lost a couple close games. They lost to St. Mary's, and they're they're right there. So I'm having fun watching. I think stylistically, it's a little bit different for me to watch now compared to what the teams when I played. Because we were a lot more fast-paced and um, less post-oriented. Now they really feed it in the post and move it around, and so it, it's fun to watch those guys. It's kind of weird to watch those guys that I was playing with them uh, a short little while ago. Yeah. Now they're still going. So I'm really proud of them. Though, and I see Zach Selius is playing well. Luke Luke looks really good too, man. He's trimmed up and he's leaning mean. So uh, yeah, he those guys look really good. All right, last thing, Chase, you mentioned earlier, uh, we're talking to you from Florida. Uh, what are you mm-hmm. up to now? You mentioned some things could be in the offing. Uh, what are plans for you here in the short term? So I, uh, I started my own basketball training business uh, out of a little fa- a facility that was actually built in my hometown in Kenna. So I, have a, uh, I run basketball training, basketball camps, and uh, certain little strength training stuff. So I've, been, I've started a company, and I've been doing that in West Virginia. And I'm actually, I did, I'm in some real estate in Florida. I bought a piece of real estate down here in Florida and I'm getting into the, uh, the real estate game. So, um, and my family is going to start doing that down here too. So I might have a little family business in the works. So I've been, uh, I've been entrepreneur I've done a lot of different things to make money. I've done some hard labor on my parents' farm uh, a lot. I, uh, another, oh, I have, I have organic grass fed or, uh, all natural free range chicken. So, I'm a chicken farmer now, and I'm reaping the benefits of that. I eat fresh eggs every day from my backyard. Um, I'm a gun enthusiast, so I've been hitting a lot of guns. But uh, Also, I've started, uh, instead of playing basketball as my hobbies, if BYU fans want to know, maybe they don't. I'm just really into it. I started a lot of martial arts. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I'm in, absolutely in love with it. And I do uh, Muay Thai, which is like a stand-up Thai boxing, hmm. and I'm really into it. So I'm, I'm fighting people on a regular basis. I have black eyes all the time, and I'm learning how to how to strangle people. So that's, uh, that's what I've been up to. Useful. In, in it's it, it's useful knowledge, Chase. Useful knowledge. It, well, listen, Greg, if, if, if everything goes down and the apocalypse happens and martial <laughs> law occurs, I've got a skill that no one can take from me. So... I've been tell I talk to Anson Winder all the time. I'm trying to get him into it, so uh, I'm actually going to come out and visit him in a, in a few weeks, and maybe I'm going to have to show some people what I've been working on. So, well, we'd love to see you back uh, back in our neighborhood at some point. Absolutely, I will. Always, always, Utah's got a special place in my heart, Greg. So, always will. Well, a man of many interests, uh, Chase, one of, one of my very favorite guys uh, to get to know at BYU. Uh, what a wonderful pleasure to catch up with you, check back in, and see what you're up to. Thanks for coming on tonight on Behind the Mic. All right, Greg. Thanks for having All right. That's Chase Fisher, former BYU basketball sharpshooter, man of many talents, as we just discovered. Good stuff. Chase Fisher with us on Behind the Mic. Hey, thanks for joining us on tonight's show. It's been a pleasure. We'll do it again uh, next Wednesday night. And you can hear us every Wednesday at 6 o'clock Mountain, 8 o'clock Eastern on BYU Radio, BYU.org, and BYURadio.org and the BYU Radio app. Our thanks to this evening's guests and a reminder to join us next week, whether live or on demand. My name is Greg Grubel. This has been Behind the Mic. We'll talk to you next week right here on BYU Radio.